0: All right. Good to see everybody. As usual, I'm not Bob Jones. So uh, if you came to uh, listen to him this morning, he'll be here next service. I'm almost as good looking as Bob, though. Almost. (laughs) He's got a couple up on me since he's God's favorite, I guess. But uh, (laughs) we're all God's favorite. Yeah. Well, uh, has everybody had a pretty good week? Yeah, good, good. Uh, women just returned from the retreat, I guess. How many ladies in here went on the retreat? All right. Did you have a good time, Jen? Good time? I heard good reports from that. <laughs> uh, I wanted to share one testimony from my life this week that uh, the Lord did. Um, this is actually from our school. We have a school, if you didn't know that, K-12. through And uh, I had the privilege of being a part of the middle and upper school, which is located over at Fieldstone Presbyterian Church across town. But anyway, um, one of the things that we we do there that we really emphasize is equipping students, especially in their rhetoric stage of high school, with tools of logic and reason, you know. How many people get frustrated sometimes around election season? Like I was watching the senatorial debate the other night, and I was frustrated with the conservative candidate that i will be voting for because of his lack of ability to give a logical answer to the question being debated have you ever felt that way like what come on and uh... so we're trying to be so bold as to do something about that and um, you know, the Lord would have to prepare and speak to our students' hearts about one day running for public office, but have you ever noticed that around election season, we're always, the church is always praying, God, give us godly men and women to vote for, but I've always noticed that, who are those people? Like, you know, I kind of look around, and I have never actually personally been around someone who was one of those, and uh, so I decided, well, let's see if we can't do something about that, you know? Well, anyway... Uh, One of the things in my class that we do with seniors is a worldviews class called Understanding Times. And we have this whole unit where we go through the uh, debate over the abortion issue. And uh, one of my students last year is now at Wingate University. She's a freshman there. In, uh, in a sociology class. How many people know what sociology class is like in, high, in, in college? So you know a little bit of her environment and uh, you know all the cultural relativism that runs amok there. And uh, she shared with me that all of her classmates were atheists or agnostic, including her professor. And so I guess she had been given the uh, topic to do a presentation on last week on abortion. And so she contacted me in which she was preparing her notes and her thing there. And uh, so that the morning of her presentation in our first period of class, my students and I, we prayed for her. Her name was, her name's Maddie. And uh, here's what she wrote after the presentation. She said, Mr. B, I blew them out of the water. <laughs> Exclamation point. My professor in my class thought I was going to be all religious like I always am in sociology. But I used the ethics of biogenesis and and SLED, that's an acronym that we use in logic for my presentation, and also a scenario, you know, about, and she goes through some situations here. Everything went smoothly, and he, the professor, told me this I've never heard the abortion debate put into logical scenarios like you showed the class. Well done, Madeline. So she goes on to say, Thank you so much. I couldn't have done this without MCA, and thank you for teaching me what is morally right. College is much different than MCA. (laughs) I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for you guys teaching me how to develop my worldview in high school. Thanks again, Maddie. So isn't that awesome? And it's like, yeah, praise God. And, uh, of course, I told her how proud we were of her and what an awesome job. And who knows how many babies' lives she saved, you know, that day by making a logical case against abortion. You know, and uh, so I just wanted to share that because that's a ministry of this, of this church. That's something that you guys have prayed over, you know, have, have supported in various ways. And uh, Corey Mead, who did our analysis this morning, is our high school principal this year. Did you know that? So way to go, Corey. <laughs> so thank you, Lord. Keep the testimonies coming. And uh, as I understand, Byron, we're going to pray over these prayer requests again in the second service, right? We're going to have Bob uh, lay hands on all these and pray for them. So uh, keep the prayer requests coming. Um, let's go to... This isn't on the screen. I apologize. It's a last-minute edition. But let's start in Matthew. Uh, if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 7. And uh, most of you are probably familiar with this little illustration that Jesus, Jesus uses here. And this is in Matthew 7:24. He says, "Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock." And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. How many people are feeling a little rains coming? How about the wind blowing? Big or small, we're all kind of going through some situations right now, right? You know, some people needed God to break through yesterday, you know? (laughs) Um, My situation might not be quite that immediate, but just as critical, I have a situation in my life. We need a strong house right now, amen? We need a house that when the rains come and the winds blow, it will stand solid, because Jesus warns us in verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teachings. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Because Jesus in a man personified what Solomon taught so much about, uh, about wisdom. Jesus is wisdom with a capital W. And he said those who don't build on the rock are as the foolish, right? Or Solomon called the fools versus the wise man. You remember that in Proverbs? And so let's be reminded here of what Proverbs 9, 1 says. It says that wisdom has built a house, Right? And it's, she has hewn out her seven pillars. And so this is what Byron's been going through here is the seven columns. So if you can just in your mind visualize a house. And across the, the, the roof of the house, it's called wisdom. And that house represents you and I. It represents Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or Christ in you, the wisdom of the ages. It's inside of all of us. But that house is hold, held up by Seven columns. Without any one of those columns, the house is not as stable. You take away two columns, the house becomes more unstable. Three, four, so on and so forth. The more you take away, the shakier that it is. And I see that God is preparing us right now. We've, we've learned in the past seasons of living from the heavenly realm. And here's how in the heavenly realm it becomes practical in our lives today is this application called wisdom. Because Paul teaches in Corinthians that wisdom is primarily heavenly, right? Because you cannot get the wisdom that's from heaven unless you get it from heaven. If you try to get the wisdom that's just natural on the earth, then it won't work. And you have to understand that by the Spirit. So I think these are the clues that Jesus has given us here. And I'm so loving this, this sermon series, if you want to call it that, because I feel like as I was going back through these, Um, If you really ask the Lord to give you revelation. Okay, that's the first big key here. Because just, you know, a mental agreement is good, but it's not enough. Lord, give me revelation on these. And it was interesting because Andy's opening prayer was on the very first pillar. Forgiveness. You know? Your heart's becoming trained, if you will, not the best use of the word, but your heart becoming so soft to the Lord that you just, by habit, walk in forgiveness. How easy is that to do? Not easy in the natural, man. Only by the way of the Spirit. You just live a forgiveness lifestyle, if you will. Secondly, identity. I'm just just reviewing here what Byron's been preaching to us. Identity, knowing who you are and whose you are. You know, without that, where are you? It's a tough road to hoe, right? I mean, it's tough without that identity. Relationships in this life. So many fractured relationships. I think the body of Christ has been so limited by this one issue right here of fractured relationships. It's so difficult. Uh, Fourth was thirst. Spiritual thirst. Being hungry and thirsty for God. Boy, if you've been around for a while in the church, you know that goes a long way, doesn't it? If you've been around with the Lord for a while, just drawing on God, being thirsty, being hungry, staying in that state is the challenge, right? From the spirit world, you can stay hungry and thirsty when you meditate upon the greatness of our God. Um, Last week, Byron talked about endurance, finishing the race, finishing strong. It's not how you start that counts, it's how you finish. That is so key to remember. This isn't a hundred yard dash. (laughs) You know, there's going to be some bumps in the road. There's going to be some times when you don't do the best or whatever. But it's not about that anyway. It's about the grace of God, the power to keep you. Right? The power to finish strong. And then week before last, he spoke on uh, the issue with Jesus on the cross and abandonment. And uh, I'm going to take this from a little bit of a different angle here. Okay, I call this uh, uh, Jesus' last will and testament. These seven things that, that Byron's been preaching on, Jesus' soul on the cross. Because if you think about a dying man or woman, their very last words, this is what He said at the end. These are the seven things to live by. And again, if you view your life as a house, and these seven things making up your foundation, I believe this is the Matthew 7, Matthew 7 house Built on the rock. Because I don't mean to be repetitive, but if you put all those seven, if you intermingle them, think about it. Just look at it yourself later. Think about how strong it's going to, what kind of fruit it's going to produce in you, what kind of strength it's going to produce in you. Because these are, I mean, these are trying days, and we have no promise that it's going to get a whole lot better in terms of our physical, natural surroundings, right? We have, we're not guaranteed that. We are guaranteed that there's one that will walk through the fire with us. There's a fourth man. as the old story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego goes, right? He's going to walk through the fire. He is wisdom. He is the rock on which we can put our... we got a lot of hope in that. Let's put our hope there. Let's put our trust there. <clears throat> one of the scriptures that Andy Squires was using in chapel... And at MCA is Proverbs 4 7, which says that wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. It's kind of like the got milk ad, you know? Got wisdom? You know, just put the question more there because it's supreme, it's primary. Who is wisdom? Jesus is wisdom. That's what he, Solomon is, is really referring to here. Though it costs all you have. Remember, like the man who sold all he had to buy the field? Because there was a treasure hidden in that one field, all—if oh, it costs everything, if it costs even the the ability to be right—give it up. You don't have a right to be right. <laughs> Neither do I. Get rid. Byron spoke of this. Oh, I don't know, it was last week or week before when you're talking about the Eddie Long issue. You know, give up your opinions. Let's just lay them all down. Let's take up his opinions. Let's take up His heart. Get it all. Even if it costs everything, get understanding. And that's what Paul's talking about. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Of understanding. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ. It's all the hope of glory that's inside of us. And I just feel so urged (laughs) to exhort all of us that now is a time to just stand your ground And praise. There's there's a tendency or a temptation when things aren't going well in your natural life to not only kind of draw back, pull out of fellowship a little bit from other, you know, just it's not just that. It's just uh, uh, you know, just that I don't know spiritual apathy or you know just and I understand it because there's so much weighing on you, you know, and there's so many people going through things. I want to talk about praise this morning. I love, man, when we come in here, I love coming to church. (laughs) Not just because I work here. I just, even if I had nothing to do with this, I didn't have the microphone. Just to come in here and sing, Glory to God, Glory to God, Glory to God forever. I mean, does it get any better than that? It's so simple. You know, you could write that song. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. In just a natural sense, I was thinking about this question, okay? What do you think the greatest song ever written was? Anybody got any opinions on that? The greatest song ever written. Amazing Grace, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. And it it doesn't have to be a Christian song, by the way the greatest song in rock and roll, or the greatest song, or whatever. I mean, you know, gosh, we got to keep it in the modern era, because you could go back to Bach and Beethoven. (laughs) Jesus loves me, bunny. Nothing but the blood. Those are all good ones. Huh? Song of songs. The greatest song. Well, I was looking on the internet at some of the world's versions. You know, one website said the greatest song ever written was John Lennon's Imagine. (laughs) Well, that's debatable. You know, we probably highly doubt that. But in terms of its influence on culture, I got this book called Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave. Are you familiar with that book? Yeah, it's a great book. But these men are people like Charles Darwin and Sigmund Freud and... uh, uh, Marx and, and, and several others in all these different fields. And if you think about, it, like, for example, with Darwin, I mean, here's a guy that died a long, long time ago, began his, his works in the, early, in, the, in the mid-1850s, and, you know, the whole world's been revolutionized by his ideas, right? Yeah, I think John Lennon is a, kind of had a similar influence. So, for good or bad, and that's not to say it's the greatest in terms of its quality, but maybe its impact, Let's just put it that way. Rolling Stone, I, I highly disagree with this one, but they said uh, Queen's song, uh, the, uh, um, the what? Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, they said that was the greatest song of all time, but, you know, Andy's not in here, so I don't know what his version would be. But uh, anyway, it's interesting. What does a great song do? What makes it great? It, it connects with you doesn't it? It connects with something inside of you that's even deeper than the melody. It, can, it connects with you emotionally. It connects with you spiritually. It connects with your experiences. Right? You remember a couple of weeks ago when Marlon broke out lean on me? He woke up with the song on his mind, and the band, just like on David Letterman or something, came in behind him. Like, they had no idea he was going to sing this song. That was so funny. Then the band just cranks it up, and we just sing Lean On Me together. Do you guys remember that? Well, I was thinking, what makes Lean On Me so powerful? Is it connects. It connects when you're not strong, when you need a friend. You know, I'll be there. Just lean on me. I'll be your help. I'll be your support. Right? Not to mention that it's an incredibly lyrical and melodic tune that goes with it. It's got that, as musicians will tell you, that hook. There's a hook in music that's this thing that just draws you in. You know? And you can think of your favorite songs, and I guarantee you they all have that hook that just pulls you into it. Well, you know, I think, and all you guys mentioned some really great songs like Amazing Grace, Jesus Loves Me. I think the greatest song that was ever sung was something like, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's read through that passage. I want to start back in Mark 15, verse 25. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified Him. And the inscription of His his accusation was written above the King of the Jews. With Him they also crucified two robbers, one on His right and the other on His left, so the scripture was fulfilled, which was, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves what those scribes said, He saved others. Himself, he can't save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which is translated My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, offered it up to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Now I want you to see what happens next. What's the result of this song? Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was. He's got to be the Son of God. There There were also women looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of G- James the less, and of Joseph and of Salome, who also followed Him and ministered to Him when He was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with Him to Jerusalem. Now I want to submit to you something that we can't, I can't necessarily prove here from what is written in the English at least and probably even in the Hebrew or the Aramaic there or whatever. But Mark, John Mark, when he was writing this Gospel, didn't have the heading Psalm 22. You understand? I mean, Psalm 22, I don't know that it was classified. The Psalms were yet classified like this. So I think that there's a possibility that when he's recording this eyewitness account, he's saying, Jesus began to cry out, Psalm 22. Why? Why do I think that? Well, because Psalm 22 starts with those words. Of course, and as Byron said a couple weeks ago, Psalm 22 is that crucifixion psalm. That's just an amazing psalm. So let's look at that, my God, my God. We're not going to get through the whole thing, but I just want to make some applications here from this psalm that Jesus, I think, began to sing. At the very least, we know that He cried it out. Okay? I think it's the most powerful psalm that was ever sung because I think likely he began to sing it out in a cry. And I think he probably even began to sing more of the lyrics than even what was recorded here. But the reason that this first statement was only written down is because it was like the title of the psalm. And so everyone in the day knew that psalm of David, all the Jews at least, and so they could recognize this is what John Mark's trying to convey to us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the groanings of and from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season and am not silent. Oh, by the way, you know, in your Bible at the beginning, it says to the chief musician set to the tune, the deer of the dawn. Does anybody know that tune, Deer of the Dawn? Don't you wish we knew that tune? Deer of the Dawn was an actual series of notes. I'm assuming that this song was written to, that these lyrics went along with. Don't you think the first century church, including Jesus, who was a pretty decent Jew, would know the Deer of the Dawn tune? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing if we could actually... Get the the melody for that. All these psalms for that matter. What an incredible thing. In verse 3, there's kind of a turn here. There's a shift. And again, I want you to imagine at least. I want you to visualize that our Lord going through this forsaken place, going through this season, not just a season, going through all hell breaking loose upon Him, feeling completely and utter abandoned, as Byron spoke of, feeling completely and utter forsaken, shifts then at this stanza and says, but you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And it's almost like you could say, and so do I. You know, when you're repeating these things, when you're recounting the history of the Israelites, it's like you're saying, but you, O God, are holy. I want to encourage you right now, if you feel in this season, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why is the world falling down around me? First of all, God can handle your lament. God can handle your feelings of feeling forsaken. It's okay to sing that way. It's okay to feel that way. Just don't stay there. Because the next stanza says, But you alone, you alone, O Jehovah, are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. Enthroned in the praises of Israel, there's this great footnote in my Bible here that says, since God is enthroned in the praises, worship is the key. Worship and praise to entering fully into His presence. That's one thing we care deeply about around here, don't we? Is the presence of God. Without the presence, all else is just wood, hay, and stubble. Without the presence, it's just good organization. Without the presence, we might as well join the country club. Or, you know, without the presence of God, what are we doing here? And it says, He is enthroned on the praises. The concept here is that praise releases God's glory, thus bringing to the worshippers actualized responses of His kingly reign. Isn't that good? I'm going to read that again. The concept here is that praise releases God's glory, thus bringing to the worshippers actualized responses of His kingly reign. His enthroned responses through the Holy Spirit can take many forms, such as prophecy, healings, miracles, affirmation to individual hearts, a call to reverential silence and awe, conviction of sin, and salvation of sinners. This verse should be a guiding goal For all personal and corporate worship. And I believe that's what our Lord Jesus was calling out to us to do by singing or quoting or yelling quoting yelling out in a voice this psalm is Don't forget in your foundation, saints, those that he prayed for before his death, before his crucifixion, when he was praying to the Father for all the believers, don't forget your praise. Don't forget to praise. Yes, there's lament. Yes, weeping is for the night. But rejoicing comes in the morning. He's enthroned on your praise. He's enthroned in your praises. I was thinking about the miracles that we've witnessed in the atmosphere of God's glory. Can you you remember some of those miracles? I remember one time there was a lady sitting right over there on that last chair on the side wall. Just a visitor who would come in here with a uh, a pretty large cyst on her wrist. And uh, a word of knowledge was given out, but it was just like during a worship. And just encouraged, somebody to encourage people just to receive your healing right now, even without someone praying for you directly or whatever. And God just touched this woman and she testified within seconds that Sis just dissolved on her wrist, right there in the glory of God's presence uh, I was thinking back to when I was a kid actually like a teenager uh, I wasn't safe yet but I went to church every Sunday with my parents to this charismatic church that had some pretty lively spirit-filled worship and uh, I just recall it no matter what the condition was of my life and my heart which was pretty rebellious to be quite honest when I got in that atmosphere Something was different. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like mostly there was a heavy conviction upon me, calling me, the Father drawing me to Himself. You know, kind of wooing me, showing me His goodness. But I also remember in still to this day, what I was saying about loving to come to church. Is how, how you, Have you ever noticed that no matter what kind of situations you're in, and how, th- how bad things are, when you begin to praise, when you come into an atmosphere, it's like you see it all different. D- do you understand what I'm saying? Like you see it all different. So that's what, that's what praise is. That's, that's what it functionally does. Is as you come in and you praise, Paul says that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Okay? Praise produces faith in your heart. What is faith? Faith, as Bill Johnson says, is the currency of the kingdom of heaven. It's like money. Okay. So another way to say it is, faith are like eyes, because people always want to know, well, how do I see into the heavenly realm? How do I see into the spiritual realm? That's how. With faith. Those are the eyes that, peer, that, uh, that can, can peer into the heavenly realm. The eyes of faith that God gives us. So how do we get those eyes of faith? Through praise. That's one of the ways. Anyway, through the eyes of faith. That faith is released in our hearts, I believe, as we begin to praise Him. Why? Because it gets our focus off of us, our worldly situation, our circumstances, even that big bad world out there. And we begin to just enthrone Him. And God can't help Himself. He's like a kind daddy who's like, the other day, um, yesterday, or day before yesterday, Ann Grace climbed up on my lap and was just playing with my hair. She had this hat and she was putting it on and just laughing, like pulling my ears. You know, and I, you know, I mean, daddies, you know, how does your heart respond to that? Just laughter, just unspeakable joy, just a lots of fun. I think that's how the Father responds to us when we come in here. Glory to God, glory to God. You know, it just the daddy's heart in him says, gosh, you know, I just love those kids so much. They're just so much fun when they climb up onto my lap and they begin to praise. And here's the other thing I was observing about praise too. And uh, you may disagree with this, but that's okay. To me, praise is more objective, meaning praise is like the facts. It's a little bit more far removed from the way that you personally feel or what you're going through because You know, when you're trying to be real intimate with the Lord in this worship kind of oozy, gushy worship thing, you know, it's harder to do that for you, not for Him, but for you when you don't feel it. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody relate with that? Like everybody around you can just be, ah, you know, and you're just like, you know, kind of pressing through. But praise to me is different because no matter what I feel, it's not about that. It's about who He is. You know what I'm saying? So no matter what, you feel you can always praise. Now, it's going to be an act of your will. You might have to choose to stand up. You might have to choose to lift your voice, you know, and whatever. But it's still an act of the will. How great is our God? How mighty is our King? How glorious is the Lord? You know, just begin to shouting these things out. I found this even in the shower. You know, you can just begin to shout praises. You know, and suddenly like your day comes into focus. You know what I mean? Like, you got a lot of obstacles standing your way. Maybe the giants are laughing at you. (laughs) But praise enables you to look at them and say, Ha ha! Joke's on you, buddy! Great is my God. Glory to my King. It's like, what was that Jehoshaphat that got the musicians to go out in front of the army in battle? You know, there's the principle. It's like right there. They're laughing at the enemy. Not laughing physically, but the praise releases a perspective even on that battle that is beyond what you can produce or work up in the natural. Is this okay? Okay, anybody getting anything here? I'm just really trying to encourage myself. (laughs) Praise is a weapon. Like I said, it's an objective reality. It's an objective fact that can be released at any time, no matter what your circumstances, emotions, or feelings. Did you want to share that, babe? Come on up here. I'll turn to your scripture for you.
1: I want to share that. But this weekend, um, we just had a really awesome time. But one of the things the Lord reminded me is actually of a vision or dream that um, Rhonda Baumgartner had a while back. And it, she, it, in the dream or vision, she was in this ballroom dancing with the Lord, and um, then she looked down, and these vines were like trying to come up and, and twist around her feet at the bottom, and she realized she was just starting to, she was just starting to stare at them, and just look at them because it was really starting to constrict her, you know, her mobility, and just it was really taking hold of her feet you know and so she just was staring at him but it was like the lord was trying to get her attention back up to him and just looking at him you know and not to just completely just get consumed by this that was taken over you know and i just feel like that that really is and what happened was when she started focusing on jesus and just looking at jesus it's like that started to melt away, you know, like go away. And she was able to dance again. But I, that's what the enemy tries to do with our circumstances, with things that he brings in, is he's trying to suck out the life. And he's wanting to just get your focus, focused down like this. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, and you're just looking at what's going on. And that's what praise does. Is when the praise, it's like when we were singing that song, Forever Rain, today, and it's that, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. You know, it's like when, when, it's almost like you say that to yourself. It's like, self, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus. Jesus and as you do that as you start setting your eyes on him and realizing that as we were proclaiming you are good you are good you are love you are love you are light you are light you are hope you are peace you are true you are joy you are life you are more you are lord you are here you are here you that is all these things are here with me, Jesus. You are with me. The great I am is with me. It's like that's what Moses needed to know. Okay, this is what you need to know. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And so it's like when we set our eyes on praising and we proclaim these things and we set our eyes on Jesus, then in that presence, because it says, in your presence I'm made whole. In that presence, in that place of just taking our eyes off the the vines and the things that the enemy's trying to trap us with, setting our eyes on Him and saying, "You, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus," and just just setting our eyes on Him, and then it's like in His presence, all that stuff is made whole. You know what I mean? But the enemy, he he's no dummy, and he's wanting to get us like this. You know when Jesus is saying, "Back up here." Back up here. I am, I am with you. 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 Don't forget it, you know. And it just changes the atmosphere. And there's the scripture. The Lord, seventeen, Matthew seventeen, was uh, showing me. I think it's Matthew seventeen. No, that was not sixteen. No, hold on. Oh, there's seventeen. Hold on one second. Oh, man. Anyways, in Matthew... I had it just before we got started. Now I can't find it. But Jesus says... He says, you know, that out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants is released perfected praise. When I realized that, I was like, whoa. Because I just want to tell you something. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you get around children... And they just have this praise. And we think, oh, that's cute. That's so cute. That is so cute. Look at that. But it's not, it's not just cute. It's doing something in you because there is, and I really believe that children really are a gift to us. They really are a gift. And if we can even allow our children, children around us, that praise, that thing that's stirring up in them, Lord, release it. Let, it, let me catch it. Let me catch that, that perfected praise, that innocence, that, that thing of, oh, Lord, you are good. You are good, because it's that innocence. There's something, and, and it's like, it, because it was when Jesus was in the, and it said, it said, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. It was just like, whoa. Because I know what I feel when I'm putting Anna Grace to sleep. She's a year old. She's, no, she's two now. But since she was a year old, she when I would... When I would start singing, first of all, she, I would try to sing this song to her. You are mine, you are mine. she go, mm-mm, mm-mm. And I'd go on to the next song. she go, mm-mm, mm-mm. And I'd try another song, mm-mm. But once I got on to, oh, how he loves us so. She'd go, <laughs> like this. And I mean, I could try every other song, but it wasn't happening until I got to that. And then she would grab my hand and go like this. She, she wouldn't just let me sing the song like this. She always grab my hand and shove it up in the air. And I'd be like... But it's the moment she would do that and I would get there, it was like, oh, Lord. Everything, it doesn't matter what my day has been, once I had gotten to that point with her, it was just like, oh, yeah, just let us remember how He loves us. How He loves us. Huh? Yeah, yeah, Matthew... Yeah, Matthew twenty-one, sixteen. So I just want to encourage you guys that in praise, like what Matthew is saying, is is it's just not getting caught up with the stuff that's going on. But Jesus, get our attention, that our hearts would sing no other name, Jesus, and that we would know in those places that He's with us, and then That's like the prayer requests and things like that. We can offer those up to Him, and then start to praise. And the atmosphere of His presence there will there will bring, He will bring, a shift. There really will be that shift. Oh, I want to say one more thing. You know the wisdom thing because the Lord really is releasing wisdom to us this week. um, Thursday morning, you didn't say about the owl. Did you even realize? Thursday morning, I woke up. We were getting ready with the kids, and um, I saw Matthew and Ben over by the back door. And they were just like, and what was happening was there was an owl right out the back door, and you could just hear it. You know, and I said to Matthew, That's wisdom. That's wisdom. The Lord's really wanting to release wisdom. And then that same day, wasn't it that same day or no. next? The same day, Matthew was coming home with the kids. And an owl flew in front of the car. I mean, that just do not happen except for in the mountains when the owl hit our car. But this time, that, that, that owl flew in front of their car on the way home. And I just really want to encourage you that the Lord really is wanting to release wisdom. There's an impartation of wisdom for us right now. If you really need wisdom for your situations, for things... The Lord, there's an impartation of wisdom to be received. This is all in the heart of the Lord. So wisdom has those seven pillars.
0: That's what practically it is. You can't get much more practical than this. That's what those seven pillars are. is how to function in those things. Forgiveness, identity, relationships, thirst, hunger and thirst, um, praise you know, abandonment to the Lord, just all these things, those are all combined to form the Spirit of Christ, which is wisdom. Amen? Let's stand up together. And I want us... Uh, it was interesting. Marlon was tapping into the same thing when he had us decreeing these, confessing these, psal- these psalms, because I want to finish with five verses from Psalm 105. Okay? And uh, if we can pull that up, Milt, Psalm 105, and we'll try to read this together. This time, but I really want the Lord to produce a spirit of praise in our hearts supernaturally, even as we remember this psalm and what God has given us. And uh, a- after we're finished doing this, you're invited to come up here if you want prayer, if you need prayer in your life this morning, we'll pray for you. So, Psalm 103, you got that one, Milt? Psalm 103, 1. There we go. We don't have to do the of David part. You ready? Praise the Lord, O my soul. What? Can you go back one? <laughs> okay, here we go again. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins. And heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. And crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles.
2: Amen. Chickababa. And the interesting thing is, you know, during, uh, you know, when Jesus was walking the earth, you know, one of the main things that he liked doing the most was uh, reading scripture out loud, you know, and I felt like there's just, there's an anointing there that the Lord wants us to tap into, it's our inheritance, you know, it's something that the Lord gave us, you know, and I'm sensing that the enemy has stolen from the church a little bit, you know, and he wants to redeem that back, so I just want to encourage you this morning, you know, praise him, that's all I can tell, praise him. You know, and it's not necessarily how you feel about the situation. You know, the praise is just because of who he is. And that's what David saw. He said, I'm going to praise him for who he is. Regardless, you know, even after David had fallen tremendously, okay, when he didn't go to war and he got messed up in the whole process, if you notice, he's the one that went before the Lord and says, Oh, gosh, Lord, have mercy on me. For I have sinned against you, Lord God. Please create in me a new heart. You know, you desire truth in the most parts, Lord God. Import wisdom into me, Lord God, because your love is unfailing, your mercies are forever. They're new every morning, and He kept on declaring that. So you know, and He would talk to himself. So, oh, why you so downcast? You know what I mean? And He would just preach to Himself, and He would make that good confession, saying, "Lord, You're my God. You're my healer. You're my Redeemer. You're the one that delivers me from all my enemies." You're the one who sees me for what I am, and he keeps on going. Amen? So, if you have any kind of sickness in your body, okay, I just want to encourage you, we can have the, uh, the ministry team. Just come up here, whoever who the ministry team is. And we're just going to lay hands on you if you're not feeling good this morning. You know? And uh, if anything else, praise them in the midst of your stuff that is going on. Amen? So you all be blessed and be dismissed and lost.